0: We're in a world right now where money affects everything, where so many people are actually out of jobs, where people are being told they have to have pensions. I was reading a stat where only one in three people around the world actually can say that they feel confidence about financial literacy, that they feel confident that they can give you financial concepts. That means two in three don't. And that's really worrying because you know these are families these these are everybody there's no point even giving labels and that worries me that's my friends that's my family you know that's their networks why should people be at a disadvantage why should they be left out when a little project like this can help give a little bit of confidence and i think that's boils down to you know when i said back in the day it's about helping people think differently that's all I ever want to do. Like, you know, even if it doesn't work out for me in this industry or, you know, if I decide to do something else that will always be the driving force. What can I do? What is my purpose in this life? What is my value? My value is that I can make people think differently, like give them a little nudge by using a, a skill that I've honed. that I have, you know, I have as a natural talent, a mixture. And that's a real privilege, and I I take that on board without being, you know, too earnest or too woke, Mm. but being able to communicate, it really is a skill.
1: Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018, in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer, and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures, and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Druti Shah is an award-winning journalist, writer, producer and storyteller. Well versed in creating digital strategies from scratch, debunking fake news, as well as training and motivating young journalists, Druti describes herself as innately curious, having written on subjects including technology, business, women changing the world, comics and science. With a grounding in local papers before jumping, or rather leaping, into global newsrooms, Druti's latest success is her finance and business book, Bear Markets and Beyond, a bestiary of business terms. It's a unique and beautifully illustrated guide to getting your head around the global economic language.
0: I grew up in Hayes in, in Hillingdon, so West London, because my family have a very close connection with Heathrow. They worked at the airport and I'm very much homebody in that respect. So even though I'm at work, I'm really adventurous and people think that I've got this huge sort of outgoing persona. I'm not, I'm really quite shy. And yeah, I went to state schools. I did quite well. I was a geek, a bit of a nerd, loved reading, had some brilliant English teachers and that really, really helped. At one point when I was really young, I got sent on an, I think it's an Arvon course. So I think maybe I was like 11 years old and that's for gifted children that have skills in in reading. And sadly, I don't think they actually do them anymore, but it meant I went away. And to have that belief in you at such a young age makes such a difference. And i realized then that that's when I wanted to do storytelling, that, you know, from that age, I wanted to be involved in journalism or I wanted to be involved in, in storytelling in some way, you know, writing. And that's what I kept pushing for. So I would create literary sheets at school. I started up school newsletters and then even became editor at school magazines. I had that reputation as the girl who was the journalist, the girl who would become the journalist. There was no other no other option in life but to become a journalist. And yeah, that's what I kept pursuing. And in fact, I actually ended up going to Oxford University. But that's because. When I was in my teens and doing my A-levels, I went and did research about how, uh, how does a girl like me who has no connections whatsoever, get into this industry, get into this field. So I knew nobody, you know. I managed to get some work experience by writing a letter to the local paper to the school's education editor and say, hi, I really like the paper. Can I come on with this, like, do some work experience? And again, having someone take a chance on you makes such a difference. But yeah, I managed to get into Oxford, me from yeah from a state school um with also like with media studies as one of my
1: a-levels
0: <laughs>
1: hey, I that did I, that too so we're not gonna poo-poo that I think media I, great. <laughs> I, took it so,
0: I took it so seriously like so so seriously I you know I, I got um full marks they even created an award for me at school that's how geeky wow. I was, yeah that is how geeky I was they've never had a media studies award before and they're like right we're gonna create one for you so You know, I went to Oxford, I got in because I had a really good interview. You know, I asked them. I was like, what is someone like me doing here? And they were like, because you're bright, you're sparky. You know, I did have imposter syndrome. I sometimes still do have imposter syndrome when I'm in places where I feel completely out of my depth or there aren't people like me. I'm a minority in lots of ways. And it was difficult. It wasn't necessarily easy to be there because as, as I said, you know, I was from a state school. I'm, I'm a Jane by my faith. So again, I'm a minor, minority in that respect. There's not a lot of us. I'm vegetarian. It's all woke now, but it, it wasn't a big thing back then. You know, you're going to blooming I mean, McDonald's and getting two slices of bread and cheese. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot to factor in. And I think only now people are realizing quite how hard it is to be such a small minority somewhere, you know, if you're not having that experience. And it wasn't really difficult, but again, you know, I was there, created literary sheets, Um, you know, I tried my very hardest. Um, When I finished university, I didn't know what I was doing as I said it hadn't been the easiest experience so in fact I fell out of love with academia and I didn't think I was going to be able to do a master's I wasn't able to do anything more what were you but studying I... were you studying English or yeah English language and literature so you know medieval studies this is where I actually first came across the bestiary, which would come back and haunt me 20 years later <laughs> um so in that respect it was brilliant and I came across this wonderful tutor I absolutely love her to bits and I think wherever you are and something I've definitely tried to do is find mentors especially strong, powerful female, like matriarchs, you know. Yeah. I have a brilliant mother. She's absolutely wonderful. And she's, I think she's instilled that in me, that if she's not there, it's really important for me to find someone who is of that calibre, who will help guide me, will help navigate. And Lucinda Rumsey is brilliant. And she was at Mansfield, my college, and I'm still in touch with her now. And I still message her and say, Lucinda, look, I've written this for the BBC News website. And she, <laughs> t- she messages me and say, I can hear your voice in that piece. And it's great to have that support. And it also showed me the importance of support networks, the importance of connections. But I did not know what I was doing, if I'm perfectly frank with you. Like I said, it wasn't the easiest <laughs> time. I created a website when I was there because they did this new module that maybe six of us did called e-literature. So I was like, all right, digital. So I'd like to be at the vanguard of things. Um, And then I went traveling. I was really depressed, if I'm perfectly frank with you, really depressed, didn't know what was going on with my life. I thought, you know, look at all these people. They're all so smart. Like they're off doing things in the city. They're consultants. I don't even know what consultant is, I mean, I say that I was being sponsored as well at university. I
1: managed to get myself a sponsorship, so they paid my tuition fee. It's quite funny (laughs) listening listening to you talk because you're like, oh, so geeky. But to me, it sounds like passion, determination, drive. You're kind of discrediting yourself to an extent or being very self-deprecating, at least, to actually acknowledge what you were doing and what you were capable of, and, and you have also said that you know you were suffering from imposter syndrome and you had support networks and mentoring. But a lot of this sounds like it's coming from you as a person and as an individual. Would you say it's part of your bones that this is yeah. what drives you? Of, I'm very British in that. I mean, I go around saying I'm very
0: Kenyan. I'm very, you know, my parents are from Kenya. I'm very Indian and very British in that respect in terms of being very self-deprecating. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, if there's something I really, really want, I will try and navigate a path. To get there unfortunately i've realized that conventional paths aren't ones that i can seem to follow whether it's infrastructures whether it's things that are completely out of my navigation system so being naive as well helps a lot because it means that you don't see limitations so if someone's like oh i never would have done that that's not normally in my vocabulary because i don't know not to do that mm. i don't know that's not the done thing and you'll see that within my career you know ending up at the BBC the way that I the way that I ended up at the BBC tell Um, tell me about that how did that happen was that
1: after your traveling
0: yeah so after my traveling I actually came back and I fell in love with stories again because I'd met people I'd met people I'm really good with people I'm really good with chatting much like you are and people trusting me enough to tell me their story and being able to tell it well and being respectful to what their story is and you know I went to Cambodia and I met some amazing people you know who survived the genocide at the end of the day and that gave me so much perspective i look at my family story that you know they moved countries to come here they had difficulties but they still just kept going and for me that's something that i look for in every person and it's not for like oh, i want to use you for a story it's more like you guys are all amazing everybody has a value to tell us i want to put myself in a position where i can use a platform to use the skill that i have to help you to help to tell people what your story is, to help them think differently. That's always been what I wanted to do. That's what I will always do somehow, you know, whatever I end up in. But I came back and I ended up working in local newspapers, which is great for me because I flipping love local newspapers. That's where I started when I did my work experience, writing about tulips, writing wedding event notices. And I worked in local papers for three years. I got a bursary. My dad has spotted an advert in the local newspaper. I couldn't afford a master's, if I'm honest with you. So again, that route was out for me. And... Yeah, I didn't quite realise there was a job attached to the bursary. <laughs> so there's a lot of that work?
1: So the bursary was part of a BBC scheme or initiative? No. Or, this, is no. local newspaper. So this is local newspapers before I even get right, to the BBC. Right.
0: So I gave up on the BBC. I was like, I'm not even going to get into the BBC. The BBC that was, your, was that your goal? That was like where you wanted to be? That's where you were headed? No. No, my goal was like, I want to tell stories. So I got into local newspapers because I didn't think there was any other place for me. And local newspapers, even at that point, I think were a lot easier to get into. And I went and I did proper hardcore journalism training. So I went to Newcastle. I lived there. In four months, I did like fast track journalism training. and I got top grades. So I was like, oh, actually, maybe I'm smarter than I thought I was. So after that, I got to the end of newspapers. And then I got a bit fed up. So I took... (laughs) I took three months and went and worked unpaid for an independent production company, even though I'd like, reached acting news editor at the local newspaper. For, for three months you worked unpaid? Yeah, wow. because I was like, I need to take a step back. So I made sure that I was secure enough that I could afford... Afford that time, and then it'd be like, mm. I'd really need to figure out another step because I think you come to a point where you're like, I need to try something different. And it was one of the best independent production companies I could work at. So it had people like Danny Bogodo, who's won Emmys, it had wow. Simon Ostrowski, who went to Vice and again became very famous, Sorry Samura, who had worked in Sierra Leone. So it was people who do you know justice stories, as it were. But there comes a point when you need to earn money, and I went to a, like a one-off networking event so again the power of networking that one of the unions was running I met a woman called Claire Prosser who I absolutely love to pieces and she just said to me why don't you think about the BBC and I was like but me and then it was quite funny because she goes yeah you know we want to shake things up we don't want just Oxford people Oxbridge people and I went uh <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh actually hang on a second <laughs> and she's like did you and I was like, so people, that's that whole thing of people underestimating what you're capable of. And mm. I think that's really
1: important. What do you think? But, she just yeah. didn't think by looking at you that you'd gone to Oxford. She just jumped to conclusions, I guess. Maybe. I mean, the thing is, I don't sound
0: like when I'm really comfortable. If you end up code switching. Mm, and true. I, I certainly don't sound like I went to Oxford if I'm perfectly frank with you. Maybe a bit more now because I've been at the BBC for such a long time. <laughs> but, um, you know, I go around saying, in it. Like, if I'm in haze, I'm like, yeah, man, it's true, in it. You know, because that's what you do in it. Um, but it was just about here is an opportunity. And I think that's what we always need is someone just to say, did you know there is an opportunity? Doesn't matter what your background is, whether it's Oxford, whether it's state school, whether it's black, brown, whatever. There is an opportunity. And actually, you're eligible for it. Yeah. So why not? So I went and yeah, I went to the interview. I complained about the lack of biscuits because I thought that's what the BBC does. You at least offer There biscuits. are no biscuits
1: anywhere at the BBC. This leads me nicely on to, is there a standout moment or person in particular that you would say help mould your interests and set your career off on this particular trajectory? But also you were talking about Claire there and just alluding to the fact that there are opportunities elsewhere. Are there other people like that that you've come across in your career who've helped kind of direct your route through it?
0: I would say everybody, I mean,
1: it's, that's a really hard question.
0: If I'm honest with you, you definitely have people who you'll never forget. For me, Claire Prosser was amazing. Like she, sadly, she's passed away now and that broke my heart when she died because she really did change the industry. She brought through so many trainees in the BBC and beyond who came from different backgrounds and for us, it was brilliant because even if they weren't in your year, even if they were like seven, eight years later, the fact that they were a Claire Prosser trainee means that you already had a connection, that you already had someone who'd been vetted, someone who was trusted, someone who would look out for you and vice versa. So when you come into something which is very much about connections, and that's what journalism is it is about, actually, you know, you need to make connections with people in order to tell their stories, as it were. You need to make connections in order to be able to move on, as it were. It's hard when you don't have that, when you've come in completely fresh, when you feel completely out of place because you're not like those who came before. So to have that network has been really, really important. So for me, I spoke at her funeral and it was just a bit like, Claire's amazing. I will never forget Claire for for what she did for me and for others. And, you know, again, Barbara Fisher was the first woman at local newspapers when I was what, 14, 15, who took a chance on me. And we're Facebook friends now. And, you know, I tell her what I'm up to. And I know she's super proud of me. So again, I'm really very, very grateful to her for taking a chance on a teenager who just wrote out of nowhere, who didn't realize you're supposed to go through certain work experience, uh, ways of doing things. Right now I have this book coming out and had it not been for people showing kindness. So I have another mentor called Matt Peacock, who is not a journalist anymore. He's actually now a consultant. When I met him, he was in business, but we bonded, we had a commonality And I will be forever grateful to him because when I said, you know, I've got this book, I don't know who to speak to I'm just getting hundreds and hundreds of rejections. And he went, this is an amazing product. What you've come up with this financial literacy guide. It needs to be seen by people. And when I said, will you help me? He didn't just ignore me. He didn't just ignore my email. Didn't just deflect it. He went, actually, why don't you try this person? This person can then help you. And for him, it was no skin of his nose to say, let me give you a name. Let me give you a connection. That connection ended up leading to the path where the book actually became something. And for me, considering I'd been working on it for four years, I'd had hundreds of rejections that somebody said, do you know what, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. It made a difference. And of course, you know, my mum and dad, they went through really tough times. You know, they're Commonwealth born, they came over from Kenya, they you know, came from India, they came here, it wasn't easy. My dad got punched by a when he first got here. they were like we keep going we keep going we keep going and for me that's been really really valuable same with you know my whole family even if I'm not in this industry what has been instilled in me is that element of resilience that you keep going you make sure that you have a backup plan you make sure that you're not snobby about what you do you make sure that if you're going to do something you're going to do it as well as you can to your capabilities You have, like, I guess it's a Calvinistic work ethic. But most of all, you be kind.
1: You touched on it there, your book. You've written a book, Bear Markets and Beyond, a bestiary of business terms. And I've got a copy in my hand right here. It's fantastic. It's born out of a uh, video is it that you did for BBC Business about the same no. subject matter? Is no, no, no. Is it no. started? <laughs> or you had the idea and then made it be, like, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, go back to the beginning. So yes, it came out of the fact that I'd come back from Thailand. I'd been on a peace fellowship and I think when you've gone on
0: an adventure and you're then in a new chapter, you can have a whole tumult of emotions and I'd returned to the business unit and I was starting to work in a new role. And again, I felt out of my depth, if I'm perfectly frank with you. And so whenever I feel out of my depth, because I do not have a business background, um, I have a strong storytelling background and I can make difficult concepts relatable. This is why I get hired often. When you're amongst people who've been investment bankers, who have got economics degrees, who can just reel off stats Mm. off the top of their head, it can be intimidating. They're not intimidating, they're lovely people actually. They're really nice. But it can be intimidating when you go into a morning meeting and people are there and they're talking about, you know, hawks and they're talking about unicorns and you're like, I think I know what they're talking about, but then they'll just sort of continue. And, and again, if you're reading the papers, there'll be this like, you know, common language. I mean, I think today I was reading about lame ducks. Not everybody necessarily knows what a lame duck is. You know, there's yeah. a lot of assumption in the Well, that. you know
1: about it or you think you know about it. I think I know about it in general terms, but probably not economically, I wouldn't have no. thought.
0: It's, it's a simple thing, but it is that whole sort of, there's always that assumption. And I think we have to be careful that as a storyteller, that you don't have those assumptions. And as I said, so I'm coming with a little bit of false imposter syndrome again. Like I know what I'm doing, but I also don't know what I'm doing because I'm not so immersed in that language. I'm like, yeah, I can just start coming out with terms here, there and everywhere. At that point, I was actually having therapy. Mental health, I think is really very important to talk about. And one of the things that came out in my therapy was when I was on the commute to work, pre-COVID times I would be sketching so you know I'd have a unicorn in my head and I'd I'd start sketching a unicorn and at that point it was like um, a unicorn in a hoodie because that's what unicorns were known for because of Mark Zuckerberg and then it just kept becoming more and more regular I was like this is actually quite fun Mm. to start investigating how many animals are there? So we weren't making the animals up. They they exist in the business world.
1: Tell us what a Unicorn is, for anyone that doesn't know, because I'm not sure that I'm gonna look through your book. I, okay, I might have to read it because we've looked at 130 okay, animals. Okay. But it's a billion dollar startup. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it should be a billion dollar startup. Um, yes, so a magical it. creature. Yeah, uh, that's exactly yes, exactly that. <laughs> so Thank god I remember that. Startups um, that have grown in value from nothing to at least one billion US dollars. And in fact, you've got a Canadian, there's a Canadian version of narwhal
0: and there'll probably be other versions come up because people are becoming very nationalistic Mm -hmm. in their creatures. So for example, you've got the wolf economy, which is is the Mongolian wolf economy because they want to take ownership. So bear in mind that I didn't know any of this four years ago. Now it's like, actually business business can be fun. Business can be accessible. Animals are cool. I worked in the natural history unit for a bit and that to me gave me so much confidence that even though I was only there for a short time, that I like animal stories. It's really relatable for anyone of any age, of any background. It like, makes so it accessible, need... doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm. You don't even need to have words. I mean, the reason why I thought it was really important to have a bestiary is because if you've got the picture and say you're a family and you've, te- you, you know, you've got this book and you've got it at home, you can have like a six-year-old looking at the pictures. They don't need to know the exact words. They don't need to know the exact terminology. Mm-hmm. But what will happen is that they're less scared of business I'm thinking businesses for those people, which is what happened to me. Yeah. I was like, Oh no, I, I don't know about business. But we work in businesses. We operate in a business. But these kids can look at a um, you know, a picture of a, a, a zebra. A bear mark. Yeah, a zebra and be like, okay that's really cool, here are four mm. zebras. And then you find that actually a zebra is, you know, startups for people from sort of diverse backgrounds, from women. It's a new movement that's emerged
1: since 2017. Yeah, so my, daa- like yeah. my daughter's nearly four and she picked this up the other day and I had to like pull it off her. <laughs> I was like, no, mummy needs that, thank you. So yeah, it, like you say, but it sparks an interest just from the, the images are fantastic as well. I know it's partly you and partly your co-author, Dominic Bailey, that has done, Dominic has done
0: most of them. So good. That's the thing, You need, once you meet a collaborator who is willing to just go with you on the ride and you can just be like I have this idea but I'm still you know we've still got the freedom to do what you think works as well but let's just come back so for example you know the alligator spread I would draw the alligator and then we had a discussion we're like oh butter spread so then we've got a picture of the alligator on butter Mm -hmm. um a, a, a tub of butter and then you go okay well what does that mean and then you can then go and read sort of the definition um it's when you'll never ever make a profit basically because the commission charges are far too much i would never know what that is i wouldn't have cared if i'm honest with you but no it's got alligators in so that's super cool you know steampunk uh skunk works so we looked at what a skunk works is now skunk works is being discussed quite a lot nowadays because the government in the uk was looking at creating a skunk work so that's just now put into like the newspapers. But mm. if you don't know what a skunk works is or what the history of a skunk works is, then you're being left out of the conversation, even though it's affecting your money, your politics, your your whatever. And when you look back and you
1: see this like skunk in a whole steampunk outfit, that's pretty cool. And you're it's like, It's easy ah. to remember as well, because I used to have a photographic memory when it came to exams and things like that. But if I could remember a skunk in a punk rocker jacket or whatever, that would just be like, ah, got it know what no, i'm talking about that goes back to like you know social storytelling and visuals because we work we all
0: now are in a very visual world you know you're a filmmaker and i work in emojis i used to hate emojis i was like what's this mm. but actually emojis are really important and gifts and all of that because you don't need to have those words this can translate across languages this can translate across cultures and i think that's really important i'm not going to say oh i'm a completely not utter brilliant business expert i'm not What I want is to have financial literacy because we're in a world right now where money affects everything, where so many people are actually out of jobs, where people are being told they have to have pensions. I was reading a stat where only one in three people around the world actually can say that they feel confidence about financial literacy, that they feel confident that they can give you financial concepts. That means two in three don't. And that's really worrying because, you know, these are families, these, these are everybody. This, I, there's no point even giving labels and that worries me. That's my friends, that's my family, you know, that's their networks. Why should people be at a disadvantage? Why should they be left out when a little project like this can help give a little bit of confidence? And I think that's boils down to, you know, when I said back in the day, it's about helping people think differently that's all I ever want to do. Like, you know, even if it doesn't work out for me in this industry, or, you know, if I decide to do something else, that will always be the driving force. What can I do? What is my purpose in this life? What is my value? My value is that I can make people think differently, like give them a little nudge by using a a skill that I've honed. That I have, you know, I have as a natural talent, a mixture. And that's a real privilege. And I I take that on board without being, you know, too earnest or too woke. Mm.
1: But being able to communicate, it really is a skill. This brings me nicely on to how are you involved with the Women of the Future programme and what was your inspiration behind it? I love the concept of
0: women of the future. I'm like, we're all women of the future. Um, (laughs) We're all very significant pasts and histories. Um, I got shortlisted for the Asian Women of Achievement Award a couple of years ago. And it's always nice to dress up, you know, glitzy and go and have a dinner. And what I liked about it is that the whole process was very collaborative in terms of, you know, you got to meet people just by being in the process just being you know by being eligible you you also got to take on ownership of your own achievements and be like you know what I've done all this that's actually pretty cool and I think when it's easy to have knockbacks or it's easy to feel sad about moments or it's easy you know I do a lot of sad stories it's easy to to take on negativity it's like actually this is cool I've done all this and these people have done all this and They're super cool. And I've made loads of friends out of women of the future. Like I didn't win that night, but it didn't matter because it wasn't ever about winning. It was about the fact that here is an amazing network full of amazing people who I wouldn't necessarily have had access to necessarily have come across in my day-to-day life. You know, I've got a friend who's, um, I think she's wandering around Germany at the moment that I met through the program and she's a medic and she's normally based in Glasgow and we check in with each other and, You know, how are you doing? How's your, um, she does infectious diseases. How's that going? I have other friends. I encourage other friends to look at the awards, to in a way give themselves a boost. And they've done, you know, they've won and they've gone on to do remarkable things. It's a great foundation, I think, in order to boost women, in order to say to them, you're capable of doing so much more. And then they take ownership of it. Like for me, even with the book itself, you know, I was talking to um, Alex Wallace, who's from the Mintridge Foundation. Yes, yes. Um, and she's amazing. I and love Alex. She's a big fan of Alex. <laughs> we've met a couple of times and, you know, we had a conversation the other day. Like, I, you know, I did a positivity chat with her and she's had a look at the book. And it's great to have that. Would I necessarily have had that otherwise? No, I wouldn't. You know, so I really love it because it doesn't, sometimes you have to be careful with a whole group of women. If I'm perfectly frank with you, I mean, I went to a girl's school and (laughs) that was a valuable learning curve. And I think it's amazing when you've got women who are willing to support each other, who don't necessarily know each other as such, but because we've got that connection, are are willing to at least have a conversation with you. And then we go, we've got that. And you see so much overlap and you can work together. And and I really like it as a network. And I think Pinky's wonderful. And you know, what she's been doing is, is absolutely brilliant. And anything that enhances women, because often we are at a disadvantage in the working life, et cetera, I think is a good thing. And I would want to be more and more involved in that. So, you know, I think what you're doing, this podcast is brilliant. I look, look back and I listened to quite a few of the um, previous people and I was like, I'm learning so much. You know, you just sit there in your bedroom or you're just reading as you're doing, as you yeah. listen to podcasts and it's, and it's wonderful. And I've been saying to other people, I'm like, you know, you know, we got one of us, we got one of us here. We should be like, Oh, getting involved in. And people are like, Oh yeah. You know, I should be telling you know Kim. Kim, you're I mean, you're still blooming out. Like I said, I was saying earlier before we started. You're an amazing woman. I'm I'm in awe. Oh, like, I'm being no, 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 um, and, You know, no, I I'm in awe, and I'm so honoured that you know I'm being interviewed right now because for someone who is, I'm gonna take You know, I am a master storyteller in my field. You are a master storyteller as well. And to be interviewed by someone of your calibre and to have, you know, to see the amazing thing you've been involved in, it's absolutely empowering. So I know that I'm now set up for the rest of my day because I'm like, oh yeah, I've been talking to (laughs) people. Hey, I'm all right. Who needs
1: chocolate? I'm very flattered. I probably would still (laughs) go for the chocolate though, to be honest. (laughs) Okay, right. I've got some quick fire questions for you just to finish. So what would you describe as your greatest success? Right now would be the book because it took so long and your greatest failure
0: that's a good question it's hard I, isn't it? it is hard because i try not
1: to think of things i think i fail every day if i'm honest with you i, <laughs> I fail like to failing forward i like think <laughs> you know i can still i'm still moving here i'm still going i've still got, <laughs> <laughs> I've still got momentum I think. I, do, I think it's
0: important to fail actually i i fail every day at something whether it's Thinking that I'm more capable of something without as much experience, I failed. But I also then think it's a without sounding too silly. Like I also think it's a win because at least I tried. I, f- I failed, but I tried. Yesterday I fell over. I Ooh. clearly failed in walking. Uh, <laughs> but I tried. That was the key thing. So I think I have a lot of li- little failures. Which if you look back over time, they add up to huge big failure. But I don't mind you've got to you've got to fail in order to be able to move forward so it doesn't give you a definitive but it's really hard because I've got so many failures that I try and reframe them in order to to make them something that doesn't hold me back I fail in jobs all the time like I apply for things a lot and I don't get them and I get sad about it but then I'm like Well, then I just have to, you know, figure out what I did wrong or what, not even what I did wrong, what didn't work in that respect. So I, you know, at some point I will fail at something today. There's no doubt about it, but it is what it is. So yeah, it doesn't really answer your question. Maybe I failed at this question. No, you
1: didn't, (laughs) fail. Okay. The mantra of women of the future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life?
0: In my personal life, I'm very lucky in that I was, brought. I believe, I'm lucky that I was brought up in the chain faith and we have a lot of forgiveness. um, And I think that's very important when it comes to kindness. And it's all very much about community and just being aware of others. So that's my personal life that kindness is being aware of others and, and what they're going through. And in my professional life, the reason why I think I've been so successful, or one of the key reasons, is because generally I'm quite kind. There's no need to cause misery to other people. There's no need to cause misery to yourself unless you you know unless you are doing a sad story and I think that that does reap rewards because I think it's my Angela who said you know people they forget what you said but they remember how it you made, made them feel, feel. Yeah. yeah at least I hope so I might have to go to quote investigator double check but um, <laughs> but yeah and I think that's really important I try not to make people feel horrible like there's just no need to And I think it's important to be kind. And that's why I think, in a way, I I like Women of the Future, because it falls in with my ethos.
1: Is there anything that scares you?
0: Everything scares me. I live in a constant state of anxiety, but that's not a bad thing. I mean,
1: I don't think that's a bad thing now. Is that what your therapy was for? I know you kind of briefly mentioned it uh
0: earlier. no i'm um, i had vicarious trauma oh okay <laughs> no because no but that's that's a good point it's because of a lot of. it's not work a quick fire question sorry <laughs> no because a lot of the work that we were doing was um
1: was nasty stuff so mm. that's why oh, i impressive. see um so it
0: does have ramifications uh,
1: yeah they say we work with like tv current affairs and lots of people from panorama the stuff that they see you you can only imagine like war-torn countries the headings etc it's awful so traumatic
0: yeah so yeah so in ugc same thing um on a news basis so i am now so when you talk about failures and stuff i had challenges but what i then did is i got fellowships so i went you know and got a knockback fellowship at the Dart center for trauma and journalism in new york so for me i try and turn
1: turn that around and so, so your answer was just to go and like submerge yourself in it
0: yeah like i'm afraid i'm afraid every day of pretty much everything i'm afraid of coronavirus i'm afraid of um i'm actually you wouldn't think it. i'm actually quite shy i said you know i said this at the beginning i'm you know a little bit of a homebody but it's like you have to take that step because no one else is going to do it for you i wake up and you know if you work in news i think it'd be weird if you Didn't have a degree of concern about the state of the world Mm -hmm. Um, and so I am afraid I'm not gonna say I'm not afraid but I try and take that fear and I just try to keep going I was afraid when the book I was like you know I was afraid I was being an idiot because who would who would want this book and it was just like you've got to keep going so I'm afraid of everything I'm such a big scaredy cat but just keep going
1: you seem to have done all right so now that bear markets and beyond a best three of business terms is a bestseller it's official it's on the top of the charts what's next on your to do list sleep <laughs> <laughs> sleep perchance to dream
0: um yeah i don't at the moment this is the thing i'm, I'm discovering because i'm not this is my first book my first proper book um and that's not the end of the journey you know, the book industry has got challenges at the moment, so it means I've had to get very much involved in marketing, very much involved in approaching strangers, take my journalism skills and say to people, are you interested in my book? Are you interested in covering it? You know, it's still not out. it's out in most of the world now, apart from the US, which will be next April. So it's getting attention for that. But we've got another couple of projects bubbling. But to be honest with you, most of my creative ideas come when I'm not trying to think about them too much, as it were. So, I mean, I put this tweet out last week and it's gone a little bit mad where I said, I'm gonna start having questing time every weekend. And everyone's like, what now? And it's like an hour that I'm gonna call questing because you know I love King Arthur and Thomas Mallory and all that. And I'm gonna just look for new opportunities. And it could be related to the book. It could be related to awards. It could be related to my career. It could be related to my life in some way or another, but it's gonna be a quest. So I think that's probably the next project is to figure out what questing time actually is other than this weird concept I came up with last weekend. Sounds seems intriguing. Well, you well, could like said, people on Twitter are like, oh, I want to start doing that. So it seems to create a very, very, very mini
1: movement uh, in a couple of days. Twitter's good for that, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Make something go viral. It has yeah. been so lovely speaking to you and thank you so much for taking the time. As I say, your book is brilliant me and my family including my nearly four year old love it so i hope it just carries on to do brilliant things for you and also with its us release next year so thank you so much thank you thank you for listening to this week's episode of the woman of the future podcast if you enjoyed it please hit the subscribe button and while you're there why not give us a rating and review you know you want to For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.